0: This is Jess and Mason with A Mostly Green Life, the podcast that's making sustainability and our connection to the environment more fun and approachable for the eco-curious. Today we're chatting with Lizzie Horvitz from Finch about how to evaluate the sustainability of everyday purchases.
1: Do you ever wonder if there's a better all-around version of toothpaste or shampoo or anything you buy regularly that incorporates science and sustainability? Lizzie helps us find that info. Keep listening to learn more. introduced to lizzie and finch from a friend who basically said this seems right up your alley check it out and we instantly fell in love with both it's fun to catch companies early in their life that we know are going to have profound impacts for people and it has had an immediate impact for us we've used finch to upgrade the sustainability of our purchases and really purchase with confidence and i don't know just like gratitude or something it just feels good when we see the finch rating and we're like all right We're changing what we buy here. So Lizzie, let's start with your path to your passion for sustainability. Was it instilled as a kid or at your large corporate experience?
2: Well, first of all, thank you so much to both of you for having me on. It's such a pleasure to to chat and to share my story. I fell in love with sustainability when I was 16. So not quite a kid, but not quite an adult yet. I was able to spend a semester in the Bahamas, my um, sophomore year of high school. It was fantastic. It sounds like a joke. I promise it was really intense. (laughs) Among learning about sustainability, we also woke up at 5.30 every morning and um, trained for a half marathon. Um, We'd do these like run swims where we'd have to like run on sand and then swim and then run. And it was just a really intense experience. But the school was completely self-sustainable. So it was run on wind, solar. You know, We weren't allowed to shower if it hadn't rained. And I went in the spring and the dry season. So, you know, I think we once went like 13 days without showering, which is insane. (laughs) Um, And, you know, I think a lot of people think of climate change when they're first introduced to it as this really stressful, scary situation. They look at wildfires and they see terrible things happening. And the way that I was introduced to it was in this beautiful Bahamian paradise and really saw a way of living that is possible and, 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 incredible. And so that really set me on a path of just focusing on how we can all live a little more sustainably. I I was in different sectors. When I graduated from college, I wasn't sure exactly how I wanted to fight for sustainability. I went into the nonprofit world at first and then realized my degree was in environmental history, which was so exciting because I think it's hard to know where to move forward. This is such a cheesy thing to say, but it's hard to know how to move forward if you don't understand really strongly what's happened in the past. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what's helpful for me now is that when people say, you know, we need more government intervention or we need companies to stay, to be more regulated, I can look back to what happened in the 70s and 80s and have a really informed opinion on what might happen in the future, just given what's happened previously. And so that was just absolutely fascinating to me. I love thinking about the birth of the environmental movement, which, you know, partly was Silent Spring, Rachel Carson, and then I'm from Cleveland originally. And so when the Cuyahoga River caught on fire, that was a couple of miles from my house. And so studied environmental history, went to go work for the nonprofit world, and, you know, just sort of had a an awakening that was, I think the, I think these problems are going to be solved in the private sector. And at least the private sector is going to have a massive part of, of this change, whether it's good or bad. And so I wanted to understand that I had absolutely no business background. I think I got a C minus in econ in in undergrad. <laughs> and so that was not enough to get me to, you know, go work for companies immediately. And so yeah. I applied to get my MBA with a master's in environmental management. I went to Yale, which was a fantastic experience, spent three years really focusing on if the largest companies are able to reach their goals of, you know, sustainability, are we able to get under, you know, 350 parts per million? That was sort of what I studied across those three years. and So climate
1: change was a big part for you?
2: A huge part. I would say climate change is sort of the center of my background. I think I've dabbled in several different industries um and several different impacts but it all kind of comes back to climate change in one way or another and so after graduating i went to go work for unilever i was on their supply chain team um wild experience i literally was helping move like ben and jerry's and margarine margarine from like the manufacturing center all the way to the walmarts of the world (laughs) learned so much about how these big companies operate. And then I was lucky enough to pivot to their sustainability team where I helped integrate the Unilever Sustainable Living Plan into our 38 brands. And then, sorry, this is such a long story. I feel like I'm talking way too much, but um, I, you're Basically. running through our questions before
1: we're even asking them.
2: <laughs> oh No, Okay, okay. So, so, no, no, it's
1: perfect. Well, okay.
2: So, so essentially while I was at Unilever, something interesting started happening where my friends and family started coming to me with questions because I'm one of the only people in my larger community who has a real formal background in this, you know, questions like I just had a baby, what diaper should I be buying? What is this weird ingredient doing in my deodorant, et cetera, et cetera. And I had no idea where to look, I had no answers. And I found that the internet was really tricky to sift through. And so I started a newsletter aiming to distill this type of information and long story short, that newsletter became what Finch is Today. <laughs> awesome. And
1: that's pretty hilarious to me that you made a business out of family asking you questions because generally I just cuss at them under my breath and give them the shortest <laughs> right? answer I can.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's such an interesting exactly. perspective you have with the background and understanding the history between different environmental movements from the 70s and 80s to help educate yourself or help educate others at this point. Um, absolutely. while you're at Unilever and helping their portfolio of brands with sustainability, how would you describe their executive commitment to sustainability?
2: Their executive commitment could not have been better. I was there under Paul Pullman, who is such a hero and he is absolutely fantastic, such an inspiration and he he really I mean as a public company, he went against what a lot of other public facing CEOs do and said, I don't really care what our shareholders want this is important for our bottom line. And Unilever was really, I think, that first company who was able to make a connection between brands growing faster with a veil of sustainability. And so I would say from the executive level, it was a fantastic company to be a part of. Like any company with a hundred thousand employees, there are difficulties in the inner workings. And I have nothing but great things to say about Unilever as a company and and what they've been able to accomplish. I think sometimes it's easy for an employee to get lost if they don't have a particularly good mentor or team set up and that's exactly what happened to me. I didn't have champions in my corner to be quite honest and I tried for three years to like really make it work but it just, it didn't pan out for me which was kind of amazing because I got to this, I think I I was young, I was probably 27 or 28 and I was like, I have just reached my dream job. Like I, I've i been wanting to work on sustainability at Unilever for at least a decade and it's not what it all is cracked up to be. And so mm-hmm. it sort of forces you to go back. I don't know if either of you have had this experience, but it forces you to really go back and think like, okay, now that that sort of dream didn't happen, what are the options here? And how do I start from square one, which is actually a really exciting place to be? Yeah,
1: Yeah.
0: I think having those mentors and advisors or people in your corner, helping you continue to move forward and in your job and through your career is so important, too.
1: Yeah. And I'm thinking of that moment very clear in my mind. I had one company that was successful. I sold it. I moved to Spain to start a chain of restaurants and thought I was going to be an international businessman. And I lost all of my money and lost my girlfriend, contracted a parasite and came back and was oh, like, no. whoa, what happened? And oh, no. uh, and that was kind of the moment where I'm like, OK, well, I can start from scratch. What am I going to do? And for me, it was like anything that I do from here on out, I need to know that every day I'm working to help make the world a better place. And I need mm-hmm. to to do things that do that. And a chain of restaurants was not doing that for me. So. Um, that's how I got into sustainability as well with that kind of moment. amazing. Were there any projects in Unilever though, that you, um, really enjoyed or feel like or had a lasting impact that you got to work on?
2: That's such a good question. And oddly haven't thought about that in so long. I think what was really exciting for me were the internal projects that were happening within our own offices. I'm like such a geek when it comes to how we can make our offices and our buildings more efficient. And I remember I was in charge of this one project where we were, um, we were, someone was trying to sell us an I think it was an anaerobic digester for the like kitchen where all of our food waste would go. Mm-hmm. And so I did this really cool study. I mean, and we is still an incredible Revenue generating company, so it had to it had to make sense from a financial standpoint. But I remember doing these really cool, you know, studies on like, okay, how much trash do we pay to get to, to dispose every week? What percentage of that trash has food in it? How can we like how how long will it take us to get that ROI from paying for this thing but having the food almost like magically disappear yeah. um, into the anaerobic digester? And then of course the science behind like, is it okay that's going into the sewage system? What's like the New Jersey headquarters like municipal laws versus other places we got like really in the weeds and that was just that was solo for me and it had it gave me a really good insight honestly into how long these processes take i think the entire sales cycle for me was oh my gosh i think it was at least like 11 months if not an entire year where i just kept pressing and making the business case. Meanwhile, I had this poor guy working for this company being like, any updates? I'm like, I wish there were, but it's just <laughs> going to take a little bit longer. Um, and then finally, when that came in, it was like, wow, this is an actual like material thing that we're able to accomplish. And then I would say, you know, nothing specific comes to mind, but was what was really fun is just we have such a diversity of, I say we, like I still work there. It's been like six <laughs> years. They have such a diversity of products in their portfolio that sometimes, you know, A company would come to me and say we're thinking about like avocado oil versus coconut oil what are the differences there and i would have no idea you know that's not like a specific thing that i studied in graduate (laughs) school but i would have the opportunity to like really look it up and and do that research and help these brands in what i think is like a pretty measurable way so that was really fulfilling
1: yeah so fun
0: it
2: sounds exciting to be able to move something forward internally too that may not be
0: tied to exactly like what your manager is wanting you or needing you to do for the brands that you're working for, but an internal project can be so fulfilling at one of those companies too. Completely.
2: And and
1: hopefully the digester is still running. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Let's
0: hope. I need to check in on that. (laughs) So let's move into what Finch does and how you guys do it. Can you talk to us about the criteria that you use to evaluate the different products and categories?
2: Sure. So I think backing up for a second, Finch's goal is really to become the nerd wallet for sustainability. So for anybody that's that knows NerdWallet, when you Google, which credit card should I get, NerdWallet is the first thing that comes up to give you an entire list of comparisons of credit cards, why they're good, why they're bad, et cetera. If you have any questions on personal finance, that is your your go-to. And there's really nothing like that that exists in the sustainability space. And so that is Finch's sort of overarching goal. And the way we're starting that is by decoding products, environmental impacts. And so our criteria really covers a huge variety of attributes under the umbrella of sustainability, including human health, social issues, along with, of course, climate mitigation, water, all of those things. We have identified, we have this brilliant scientist on staff named Mark, and he's identified around 100 attributes that go into the sustainability of a product. So everything from what's the child labor, if any, hopefully not. Um, (laughs) What's the likelihood that this will shed microplastics and everything in between. So there are 100 of those We feel very strongly that we will not incorporate an attribute until we have done significant research on like peer-reviewed studies until like the data is pretty clear for us and so we've only thus far incorporated probably 25. So right now when you see the browser extension you're seeing 25 attributes and over time continuously that's like one of our three main priorities right now as a company is improving that data set and making it as as defensible as possible. Oh, cool. So right now we're looking at six impact categories. We're looking at water, climate, human health, ecotoxicity, natural resource depletion, ecological footprint, and then of course like a a veil of social sustainability as well. And in each of those, we have a couple of attributes. And then what we do is we weight those attributes based on the product category. And so a category would be body wash, shampoo, detergent. We figure out what's most important to pay attention to in that specific category. And then we weight them based on what the science is telling us.
1: That's a cool rubric. How do you choose the categories to dig
2: into? We're choosing the categories In a combination of ways. The first is what do people buy often and that are not that expensive. So we wanted to start with products that if worst case scenario, you're not happy with your purchase, you have to buy toilet paper again in a month (laughs) probably. And that was a way to really just like gain trust. We figured if we went out of the gate with like, we can tell you what shoes or t-shirts or jewelry to buy. People are like, these are actually really big decisions for me. I don't buy them all the time. Like, I don't know you well enough yet for this. And right. so, so we're starting with those, and we have a, a couple of outliers, like we do mattresses and sheets and pillows, um, but that's because my chief of staff, Jane, came from the textiles world and has a deep background in that. And so that was like an easy, easy win for us to to do that research. But generally it's consumer goods that are not food related, and then we'll aim to When we go beyond these 85 categories we'll do more kitchen appliances furniture things that you find in your house electronics and then probably move on to apparel more luxury items etc
1: so you've identified 85 how many do you evaluate right now
2: we attributes or product categories product categories we we have rated 85 product categories oh
1: okay awesome
2: yep
0: you guys just launched
2: the Chrome extension
0: for this. And so that if correct me if I'm wrong, but that was like the main what you were hoping to get out of Finch, correct? Like it started with the blog and then you have wise guys as well. And Chrome extension, this was the ideation of The, the Apex. Company. Yes, thank you.
2: <laughs> 100%. You know, it's been so interesting because for the first I would say year and a half, we were really like a media company. You know, we were just blogging and writing and that was our main product for so long the extension is i would say the first iteration of us becoming a data and technology company which is the main goal Mm -hmm. we are so excited to see how the extension evolves i think there are a lot of different directions that, that we could take with it yeah
1: cool kind of an aside i noticed on toothpaste your top rated most of your top rated toothpaste did not have fluoride what's your take on fluoride
2: you're testing me Mason um (laughs) I actually I don't have a good answer for you I am I don't I'm not sure about fluoride specifically I think what we've noticed with Tom's of Maine and some other good product brands is that you know the the less I guess like bad chemicals used the better we try to stay away from saying things like bad chemicals but I can't think of anything else to describe it (laughs) and so I think fluoride we've just found like what I do know is that your teeth can be cleaned and protected from gingivitis, cavities, all of those things without the, the need for fluoride. And so that's just sort of an additive that isn't necessary. And that's kind of across the board with our products, anything additive that's not completely necessary for the function or the experience, we tend to to rate a little bit lower.
1: I've always found it just a fascinating topic and there's a surprising lack of data On either side around fluoride it it seems that the original studies are around it and specifically so fluoride in water I think is Mm -hmm. is bad and I don't think there's any reason for fluoride in water but it seems that fluoride in toothpaste does have benefit and there is a reduction in dental caries from in when you have fluoride in toothpaste but it's such a complex issue because as countries become more advanced and end up with fluoride in their toothpaste they also end up with a lot more sugar in their food and so then it, it is hard to tell like is it is it better or not with the fluoride or not so um, right like what is that
2: isolated experience yeah yeah that's really interesting
1: but fluoride in water generally just data. seems like completely unnecessary <laughs> and it's usually in an industrial byproduct waste stream like sodium hexachlorofluoride, kind of stuff that's really toxic that they put in water systems, but since they dilute it down enough, they claim it turns into a safe product.
0: (laughs) Well, we don't have any more very specific questions like fluoride, a particular (laughs) (laughs) ingredient in a particular product. Um, But what are some of the worst categories in home for sustainability right now? Like the companies that are not companies that are doing the most harm, but where there's areas for improvement.
2: Yeah. Like laundry detergent is pretty toxic. There are a lot of Harmful ingredients in any type of laundry detergent. It's mm. not the type of industry where people can readily or like will or will, are willing to make it at home, you know, in their bathtub or something like that. And so we, you know, there are a couple of amazing products like drops we love um, and some others. We some love drops too. Pods. <laughs> They're the best. I actually just used another one that's a laundry sheet that I had never seen before. I had seen dryer sheets, but not detergent sheets. And that worked really beautifully. Yeah. But that's an example of like, no product really is like knocking it out of the park there's not because like by default you need chemicals to wash your clothes correctly and so because of that we also on the counter don't want to give users a bad experience like it would be kind of a not great experience for you if you're going on finch and you're saying the highest detergent is like a four out of ten right <laughs> so we have to say like from what's on the market this is the best and we'll give that like a 9.7 out of 10 but that doesn't mean that it's A nine point seven in detergent is not the same as a nine point seven in like toilet paper where you're having like a bamboo carbon positive toilet paper. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And that seems really wise not to make people feel bad for shopping for laundry detergent. (laughs) And I'd just be like Exactly. But we want people to wash their clothes.
2: Right. And it's like progress, not perfection. We want people to wash their clothes, but once further than that is like, people will buy detergent regardless of whether Finch is here or not. So for us to to use the language of like, this is bad and you should feel guilty about these purchases, whatever, that's not a helpful narrative. The narrative is like, we understand that you have needs as a family, as an individual, whoever you are. And so we're going to make this experience as seamless for you as possible and ensure that you can make these small changes that will make a big difference. But otherwise, it's not like people are going to stop buying detergent. It's just that they'll buy whatever is cheapest or whatever is out there and not really think about the sustainability impacts.
0: Yeah. And I feel like it's great that you guys do it for the smaller items that you're shopping for regularly already, because there's so many good brands out there, but you don't really know how to compare them against each other. And like, I'll do my own research and then just get research fatigue. I'm like, all right, well, they both they all kind of seem good, so let's move forward with this one. But So I'm so excited to use Finch for those types of products. But then even like the bigger purchases like you mentioned, like clothing or jewelry or shoes, with that too I get research fatigue and I end up just not buying something, which is probably mm-hmm. the, the better best. the better yeah. thing anyways. <laughs> um, exactly. But it can be frustrating for sure. So excited for where you guys have started and to get into those other products at some point in time.
2: Thank you so much. Yeah, it's, it's going to be fun because people will do – it's sort of counterintuitive, right? Because people buy toothpaste and toilet paper all the time, but it's not something that you tend to do a ton of research on unless you're Mm -hmm. as passionate about this as as you two are probably (laughs) or me. On the other hand, like cars, like when you buy a car, you're doing like months and months of research. And so Finch is kind of trying to figure out where we fit in with that research. Like how can we be a meaningful part of that experience while people are doing the work. And we think about this with new moms all the time. We've been buying paper towels for our entire lives, but unless you're a new mom, you've never bought diapers before, right? You've mm-hmm. never bought bottles or, or formula or things like that. And so that's a perfect time for us to come in and say, while you're doing all this research for the very first time, here's where Finch can play a role. And I think that will also happen hopefully with those larger purchases.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have a friend who um, recently became pregnant and her and her husband were shopping. And I mentioned to, they asked us, like what baby diapers they should buy. And we mentioned, you know, there's a lot, not that it's greenwashing by any means, but you know, they, you pay more or a premium for like compostable ones. But then if they aren't a family that actually composts, they still think that they're making a better decision because it's green on the packaging. But then if they're not actually disposing of it the right way, or if you even can dispose all of those compostable diapers, especially for those (laughs) new, new moms and dads that don't know (laughs) where to start, this is a great place. Completely. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And funny you mentioned uh, partnering with startups. One of our goals at Mostly Green Life through this podcast was to find new opportunities for businesses that we can launch to help people move more towards sustainability. In fact, we can tease out that we already have a company that we are working on with partners in this, but it seems like the data you're generating could really help us as well in this regard. So we should uh, talk about uh, deeper partnerships sometime. <laughs>
2: Yeah, that's terrific. We're so excited to kind of dig in on all of this because, you know, behind closed doors we do have all those scores where an entire product category mm-hmm. isn't getting higher than anything. We also on the other side don't we don't ever give products a ten because any physical product is doing some harm yeah Um,
1: we always quote the
2: patagonia Patagonia quote
1: the most sustainable business is to not have one
2: (laughs) (laughs) exactly (laughs) just stay at home don't buy anything right right (laughs) so through
0: y'all's research have there been any surprises like products you didn't expect to be good that were or vice versa products that were bad that you didn't expect to be bad
2: i think Generally, I'd have to think a little bit more about specific products. I'm sure there are. But what's been most interesting is this scientist, Mark, on staff, who is sort of challenging the status quo in a lot of really exciting ways, where he is telling, and probably if I were to take time to really think about this, I would have come to a similar conclusion. But he is actually doing this research that shows, like, if you buy a aluminum water bottle that's reusable, that's great. But if you use it twice and it sits in your cupboard, you actually probably should have just bought... 10 days worth of bottled water um, yeah right or like you know we we love the plastic bag example of if you have a canvas bag 100 that is the best thing to use if you forget your canvas bag at home or in your car and you're at the grocery store it is significantly better to use their plastic or paper bags that one time rather than buying more canvas because when you think about these different impacts of like yes, plastic ends up in the ocean, but there's, you know, with a, with a straw, for example, there's a one in seven chance that that plastic straw will, will enter the ocean. With a metal straw, there's a 100% chance that carbon was used to make that in the first place. And so that has been really fun for us to say like, yes, these are good, but only in these specific circumstances, if you're using them correctly. It's just been fun.
0: Yeah, and you guys have written blog posts about that, and I've read through them, and they're lengthy and they're so full of information. And at the end of it, sometimes they're like, So we don't know exactly what the best decision is because (laughs) there are so many contributing factors to it. And you're like left in this conundrum. You're like, Wait, so which one do I use? And it's dependent on the situation, like you just described. Completely.
2: (laughs) In terms of products, what we've found to be really interesting, which again is probably, well, I don't know if it's obvious or not. It's probably obvious to me in retrospect, but you know shampoo conditioner body wash is made up of 60% water and guess what you have unlimited amounts of when you're showering mm-hmm. is water <laughs> so when you think of the carbon intensity to ship these heavy bottles that are filled with 60% water only to get to your shower where you're mixing it with even more water mm-hmm. makes shampoo bars and body wash bar or like bars of soap really really appealing when you when you put it into that context
1: I was very skeptical. Uh, we had tried one shampoo bar and it didn't really work, and it just like flaked up and then made a, a mess in it. Uh, but recently, we were introduced to another one that we actually both love.
0: Yeah, the first one I've ever used and liked, which was exciting. And I think so
2: what, I'm curious what brand um, those were.
0: Yeah, yes. you know. So it's called Super Zero, and so I believe they're an Austin company. And she s- shipped us some product, mm-hmm. and it set it up like most shampoo bars don't, in my opinion, and I feel like typically they leave my hair feeling oily or like it didn't get all of the gunk out per se, but I loved this one, the shampoo and the conditioner. And then we have the body wash as well. But it was the first one that I've used that I've actually enjoyed. And I think I've probably tried. I mean, I wouldn't say I've tried 20 by any means, but a handful enough to have
2: given up on it. And so she sent the product and I love it.
1: And it doesn't make a mess in the shower either.
2: Yeah, that's
0: that's true. Super zero. That's so good
2: to hear. You know, one of the most fun parts of growing this company is that like the fluoride example, I'm not always seeing every single detail of what's going on. Mm -hmm. And we just posted, I I didn't see this before it went out, but we just posted an Instagram on how to make the most of shampoo bars. And I'm watching it and I'm like, this is so amazing and helpful. (laughs) Um, Like one of the things that I always do is I like try to rub the bar between my hands and then I put it in my hair mm-hmm. and this video, I'm I i can not wait to try it. This video is like, that's not the best use. What you should do is really just like you put the bar directly on your hair. It gives it like much better, I don't know, surface area or something to, to cover your head. And right. so check out those tips, but it's, yeah. like, it's always helpful for that. me to see how we can, how we can improve it.
1: Have you seen any products really degrade or dramatically improve in the time that y'all have been monitoring?
2: any products dramatically improving? I don't think in the amount of time that we have been monitoring, but you know, I keep bringing up, well, first of all, I do think, I think toilet paper has made a real improvement. I think back to, you know, the first, I'm such a huge fan of seventh generation, but like those first few examples of seventh gen, like from 10 years ago, they were awful. And like, nobody wanted to use those. We just bought, and that's the example we always use of like, (laughs) yeah, exactly. And now, we just bought some from this bamboo company that I can't remember the name of, and it's like Cabu? a fantastic experience. Mm-hmm. It's not kaboo oh, but okay. that is one of that, that's one of our top picks. Yeah. Um, and they seem great too, but it's like, they've figured out the textures. I think the innovations that I find most exciting are when you don't feel like you're compromising in any way. Right. And that's mm-hmm. what Finch is all about is like, you can make these right decisions, these better decisions, not right or wrong, but better and not have to like pat yourself on the back every day that you're doing something for the environment but like the experience isn't that great yeah um like those simple swaps are i think where the excitement is and that's how i feel about the laundry detergent space with drops like there's literally nothing it's it's better to use those pods because it's cleaner it's like less messy right when you're Mm -hmm. actually doing laundry you just like throw it in and so those are the innovations that i just love experiencing
1: yeah yeah agreed i'm you know excited as you all grow to uh, knowing that y'all will be able to measure this impact and the number of people that are making better choices and a little bit jealous because you can uh, measure it so easily and compared to saying it started out as a media company it's a lot harder to measure that compared to products that people are buying do you have any goals for impact or what's your vision for the future
2: yes i think that the ultimate impact for us will be when we can go to brands and we can say hey Tide, you just lost 20% of your buyers because they found through Finch that Drops was a better product than Tide. Here's how you can bring your score from a six to a nine. right? And so that's the impact level that we're working at, which is we have hard numbers for the business case of why you're losing market share because you're not as good as you could be. And meanwhile, on the flip side, these companies that are doing good can continue to do the great work that they're doing, knowing that it's actually making a difference because. It's still for any company is really tough to make that business case. And so on that overarching level, I'm super excited to to have those hard numbers to show what people are willing to switch on, how much more they're willing to pay for products, if anything, all of those sort of granular details. And then on the consumer level, I think we can take our six impact categories and say like, you know, over the past month, we avoided 20,000 tons of virgin plastic or, X amount of gallons of water from being wasted and, and et cetera. So I don't have hard numbers on sort of what that looks like. And I don't have goals for that yet. I think it will depend so much on our user base, but I think to be able to manipulate those numbers is going to be really interesting. I mean, we'll be able to say like men save twice as much water as women do on average, or (laughs) people that live in Austin do better than people that live in Maine. Right. So we can have a lot of fun with sort of demographics and, and Make it a little competitive, hopefully too. I think the gamification aspect, like you two could technically like compete against who's saving more after <laughs> a <second laughs> point, which is
1: cool. Wow. Well, well we Jess we is really competitive. competitive.
0: Oh we oh you said I was saying we are, you're saying I am.
2: <laughs> like, yeah, we're definitely competitive here, but I guess
1: it's <laughs> <Yeah>. me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's
1: like a competitive streak too. <laughs> I
2: feel like all you need is one competitive person and then and then like the other person is forced to be competitive. Like <laughs> right. no right. that's true. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Well, I know we're already huge fans, but I just hope this episode inspires some people to get the browser extension and upgrade their consumerism because it is so damn easy.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. From drops to shampoo bars to better toilet paper from seventh generation, I feel like our house is really taking steps to becoming more sustainable with literally a click of the button.
1: Yeah, we tried that bamboo i think it's called caboo bamboo mm. toilet paper i, like I don't it. like it as much <laughs> i didn't <yeah>. either <laughs> <laughs> luckily seventh generation is only like 0. 0.1 rating below them out of 10 so I'm still think pretty, pretty good close yeah my favorite part is how grounded lizzie and her team are in the science behind everything making sure to fully consider impacts like the canvas versus plastic bag example that was pretty crazy i mm-hmm. feel like i see social media clickbait call out things like that all the time shifting the context a little bit to something that doesn't make sense like they'll say buying a canvas bag is 10 times worse than using a plastic bag at the grocery store and while that's true you look at holistically how often you shop you're saving dramatically on it Mm -hmm. and lizzie's team does that research for us any takeaways for you
0: um, I mean, I think I just want to highlight, in addition to the browser extension, they do have an amazing blog, which they have an article about the plastic bag versus canvas bag, and it mm-hmm. helps you understand all of the inputs. Yeah. But it goes beyond that, whether like compostable straws are really the best alternative. There's just like so many new innovations out there, and they're out there to solve a problem. But sometimes they come with their own set of issues. And so they provide super interesting perspectives to help understand what all those inputs are. And sometimes at the end of it, they're like, We don't know what the best option is, but it's just situational. Yeah, yeah.
1: And while some of the products that we feature on this podcast, we have an affiliate program. We do not with them. We just really love what they do. Mm -hmm. And as a reminder, their website is choosefinch.com, and we'll put that in the show notes. Yep. So if you enjoyed or hated this episode, please drop us some feedback at mostlygreen.life slash podcast survey. So we can get better at this whole podcasting thing.
0: And as we close in on Earth Day, April 22nd, we'll be exploring more sustainability and environmental topics. So stay tuned and hit subscribe on our podcast wherever you listen.
1: Thanks for listening.